welcome to another episode of Prove Me Wrong, Please. Uh, in this episode, I am joined by the host of Square Off, Debating Politics with T.R. Smith. Uh, and today we talk about the recent Congressional Budget Office report detailing the potential effects of raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which President Biden has promised to do. Uh, now, I spoke with TR a few episodes back about income inequality, and although I won't pretend that either one of us came away from that conversation uh, proven wrong by any means because he is a conservative, the point of this podcast is really just to chat politics with those I disagree with, and I felt the ongoing debate about raising the minimum wage provided another great opportunity to continue that dialogue. So before I drop you into our in, or into the episode, I do want to give a quick history lesson about the minimum wage in the U.S. just in order to provide some larger context to our conversation. So the first federal minimum wage was signed into law in 1933 by FDR as part of his many efforts to end the Great Depression. At the time, that minimum wage was 25 cents, but today it's $7.25. However, 29 states and many cities around the country have higher minimum wages than that $7.25 federal minimum wage, which means that almost 90% of U.S. minimum wage earners uh, earn more than that $7.25. Therefore, the effective nationwide minimum wage, or essentially the wage that the average minimum wage worker actually earns is closer to $12, uh, at least as of 2019. The average purchasing power for a minimum wage earner peaked in 1968 and has since steadily decreased, and that's largely because it has just not kept up with inflation and rising cost of living over the last 50 years. So I mentioned all of that, um, again, only to just provide larger context. Uh, So I'll stop talking and just jump right into my conversation with TR about why I believe raising the minimum wage benefits everyone. And as always, I encourage you to prove me wrong, please. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, thanks for joining again. I I really enjoyed our last conversation um, about just income inequality. And so I think this conversation focused more so on the minimum wage is... Uh, a good sort of segue into kind of what's happening currently with regards to the Biden administration. And specifically last week, uh, you know, we were talking via email about how the Congressional Budget Office published the report, which among many things kind of had two larger takeaways. One being that an increase of the minimum wage to $15 an hour would lead to a loss of 1.4 million jobs by 2025, but also lift about 900,000 Americans out of poverty. Uh, and so I'm, I'm curious, just what is your kind of reaction to this uh, report and your overall take on the minimum wage argument, which has um, been one that is, like I said, kind of growing in uh, popularity recently. So for the minimum wage, yeah. So there was this report for anyone who's not familiar with it. It came out a few days ago in terms of the Congressional Budget Office, which is, you know, a pretty nonpartisan Mm-hmm. Um, part of the government, like uh, most people respect what they put out there. They're not, they're not trying to slant it one way or the other. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't too surprising. And I, I guess they actually put out a similar report one or two years ago where it was a similar number, about 1.4 million jobs could be destroyed. And, and, and yes, it, it would lift some people out of poverty. So that's not too shocking that, you know, if you have a certain number of people who are in certain jobs or certain low cost of living areas that if you 
in, if, if you give them a raise, uh, in some cases, you could lift people out of poverty or it could be a husband and wife that are both making uh, around the minimum wage, suddenly they'd be making more. So that's not too shocking and we can come back to that. But I think for me, the real headline is, you know, 1.4 million jobs being wiped out. And that is a really big deal. And it, it seems like if, if the goal is to fight poverty, if the goal is to help people that have low skills and have low wages today, it just seems like the worst thing you could do is come in and destroy those jobs uh, or just eliminate them through, you know, the fact that businesses will have to, to scale back or they're going to invest in automation. I think also one of the big ironies, and I, I discussed this with one of my other uh, partners and uh, partners in crime on, on these political yeah. discussions is, you know, I pointed out that on the one hand, Democrats are always warning us that, you know, we're about to enter this futuristic world where, so many people are displaced by robots and artificial intelligence and truck drivers and taxi drivers are going to be put out of work because we're just going to have self-driving cars. And you've got all these different, um, different things happening in our society. Even waiters and waitresses could eventually get replaced by kiosks. And, and certainly we've seen that in, in the fast food industry. So all these things are happening that where technology might be displacing people. And, and we're told that we should be worried about this. But then at the same time, those same Democrats are now saying, well, let's hit the acceleration on this and let's force all these businesses to pay $15 an hour, which in a lot of places, a lot of states, that's you know well over what normally a low-skilled worker is paid. So to me, it just seems like you know there's a real danger in doing this. It seems to be sort of contradictory to the other things that were being warned, up, warned about. So, I mean, what, what's your take on that? When you read... 1.4 million dollars, sorry, 1.4 million jobs could be lost. I mean, does that make you rethink it? Or do you just think that, well, those people will go on government assistance and we'll take care of them down the road? I mean, what, what's your thought when you read 1.4 million jobs just gone? Well, so it's interesting. So I actually had the complete opposite uh, reaction to you in that I sort of focus on the second number that I mentioned, you know, it, having the potential impact of lifting nearly a million Americans out of poverty. Uh, I mean, obviously, the loss of jobs is, you know, not great, but I think, you know, someone who is able to quit, you know, working three jobs and just focus on one in order to learn a, or earn a living wage, um, I would argue is be largely beneficial. And I think um, there another statistic that I think came out of this recent report is that increasing the wage also kind of has a net benefit for just uh, employees who earn more than the minimum wage in general, and that it would have a net increase in, for, in wages for about like, I think the number was 27 million Americans, but feel free to fact check me on that, anyone listening. Um, and so generally speaking with regards to this argument, I just think increasing the wage is has the potential to just improve worker productivity and reduce employee turnover, which I think is something that a lot of businesses uh, take into account when they're hiring and just generally put more money back into the economy. Um, and I would argue that that would decrease the burden on some, some of the safety nets that are currently in place that a lot of these really low wage uh, earners tend to rely on. Um, and I, I also think that, you know, you mentioned Democrats kind of calling for uh, taking advantage of this, this moment, given the pandemic and the economic downturn that we're currently in. And I think this is an opportunity to help those communities that have been disproportionately impacted over the last year and even 
dating back to the 2008 financial crash, um, because a lot of those people who are currently earning the federal minimum wage of what, like 725 an hour, which by the way, hasn't increased since 2009, are people of color in some of the more uh, um, more impoverished communities, communities around the country. So I guess uh, in summation, I, I don't know. I just think that this increase, this debate is sort of missing the point and not looking at like the larger trends, which is that, you know, we are living in a society that is extremely productive, or at least a year ago, um, extremely productive, all-time high uh, corporate profits, and yet there are still so many Americans around the country who can't uh, afford basic uh, goods and services and just housing. And, and I just don't think that in one of the wealthiest countries and the most powerful country um, ever, that that should be a reality. I mean, I, I hear that argument and, you know, I mean, I guess it depends which Republicans you talk to, but Republicans are not opposed to, you know, helping the poor, I guess. To, but, you know, but just sticking on the topic of, of the minimum wage, you know, most conservatives do feel, and frankly, a lot of Democrats agree with this too. Part of the, part of the reason they haven't raised the minimum wage in, since I think 2009 mm -hmm. is that even a lot of Democrats understand that it's it's a very crude way of helping the poor. I mean, I guess if you want to help the poor who are struggling to pay their bills, you can just give them money, right? And we do that to some extent with food stamps, we have housing assistance, we have the earned income tax credit. And I'd be the first to say, hey, maybe we should be doing more, you know, more of these types of transfer payments if you can do them efficiently and actually help and actually target it to the people. Because ultimately you're better off targeting you know, the adults who may have kids, they may be the head of the household. And you're telling me, well, there's all these adults that are, that are, that need help. I guess I'm saying, well, if they need help, then let's help them. And, and as a side note, you know, we already do help people a lot. I mean, I, I get the argument that we should be doing more. It should be more like Europe. You know, I get all that. But the point is that, that specifically the minimum wage. So going back to the argument against the minimum wage, you're going to wipe out over a million jobs and then what do those people do? I mean, I guess a lot of them are going to end up on government assistance. Or, or they or, just focus on yeah. one job as opposed to multiple, though. But that's not what the Congressional Budget Office is saying. It's not like they're going to lose the job that paid $10 and they're going to get the job that pays $15 an hour. I mean, what's, what's going to happen is the job itself is just going to go away. That you're going to have grocery store, small grocery stores, small retailers, small businesses of all kind that just say, the, my business no, no longer works at $15 an hour. So I, I used to be paying, you know, my workers $10 an hour. Uh, now I'm being forced to pay $15 and there's just no profit margin anymore. So some of those jobs will either get wiped out, they'll be turned into a robot or the business may go under. And, and that, that's a reality. Even, even now in the pandemic, we see that there, there are stores that uh, are not able to, um, to function because, you know, demand has gone down. And I, I think there's there's sometimes this notion that that all these businesses out there have really big profits, and that's not really true. I mean, a lot of businesses run on barely a break-even basis. You know, a small business owner, you know, maybe they make a hundred thousand dollars profit at the end of the year, but that's just the salary that they pay themselves. And so, if they have a bunch of workers, and suddenly there's a huge spike in their in their wages, that business is now in trouble. And so it's, it's not a question of saying, well, those workers 
we'll go find something else. I mean, again, that's that's the opposite of what the Congressional Budget Office is saying. They're saying 1.4 million jobs gone. And there, there is there really is no answer for that. I mean, I, I've not heard a re, I haven't heard a response from you or anybody about that. It's just like, well, you know, eventually they'll find work, right? Or we'll give them more government assistance. And to that, I say that's that's just really the opposite approach to what we should be taking. Um, so maybe, maybe I'll pause there. I mean, did I say anything there that, that strikes you as false? Because again, it's not a question of don't help the poor. It's a question of you know how do you treat workers that you know, they have low skills and mm-hmm. we want them to have a job, but we also want to help them. And, and this may not be the best way to help them. Yeah. I, I just, I think the, like the only metric of how to help those low income workers being like the number of jobs available or just in general, I, I just don't think is entirely capturing like the full picture. Um, and so, you know, you, you mentioned, um, I like, I, I just, I feel, and, and, to my point that I brought up earlier about how we currently are the most productive that we have been in generations. I believe our unemployment currently is at the low, or again, prior to pandemic a year ago was at the lowest that it's been in like 50 years. Um, And yes, that's a great thing. But at the same time, over the last 50 years, uh, the average pay for, you know, the wealthiest Americans has just skyrocketed. And again, this kind of brings it back to our conversation last time about income inequality, Um, but it's related, um, while over the last 50 years, the wages for, you know, the bottom 10 or even 1% have remained stagnant, if not decreased. And so I just feel that there's a lot of, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong here, but just sort of like fear mongering on largely behalf of the right, but, you know, some moderate Democrats as well about the potential impacts of, uh, increasing the minimum wage. Now I'm, I'm certainly, um, not arguing for immediately, changing it or more than doubling it from what it is, you know, 725 to 15, I think most economists would argue that'd be insane because businesses need to uh, sort of plan and strategize for that kind of an increase. But I just do think that in a society where we are seeing a growing disparity between the super wealthy and those kind of at the bottom, uh, it just doesn't make sense. I just don't buy the argument that we can't afford to increase the wages at the bottom, which um, again, I believe we'll also have a net benefit on the overall community by giving uh, those low income earners more money in their pocket that they can then spend and hopefully take them off of some of the more safety nets that currently exist. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hear that. But I mean, the, the other thing that people should keep in mind, I mean, I think that when we have this debate, there's this notion that like, you know, so many of the people on minimum wage are like heads of households or they're single moms that are struggling to get by. And that's just not what the facts really are. I mean, half of all minimum wage workers are teenagers. I, and I, I don't yeah. actually think that's true. That, that was a number. No, that it I, is true. I checked it just yesterday. You go on the BLS.gov website, the Bureau mm-hmm. of Labor Statistics, half of all minimum wage minimum wage workers are teenagers. Hmm. And so, you know, we we don't need to give teenagers a raise necessarily. (laughs) So, you know, and we can come back to this whole question of being a head of household, but, you know, all these teenagers, this is their first job is one of their first jobs. And, you know, it's okay for teenagers to just take a crummy job that doesn't pay a lot because, you know, they learn how to show up on time. They learn what a low wage job is. And they learn that maybe they should invest in their own education or invest in their own career so that, you know, maybe they'll become the manager of the store one day and it'll, it'll be a better job or at least they'll pay better. So, I mean, that, that is a reality. And 
you know, so again, I mean, I think people aren't looking at, at the negative consequences. I mean, for every policy, there's a trade-off. And, and pe- I think there's people who like the idea of raising the minimum wage think that it, it's sort of a free lunch, right? Well, we give everyone a raise and everyone has more money, but that's not always the case. I mean, you know, again, businesses aren't going to always be able to operate operate and stay in business if their expenses go up. And um, again, I mean, a lot of these teenagers will just be priced, priced out of the... Um, out of the job market. And it, it, it's, it's a sad thing. I mean, in some places that's probably already happening, like in places like California that already have a higher minimum wage, depending on where you are. I mean, it's tough. It's tough for people to find work if, if, you know, if they don't have a lot of skills. So yeah, but people need to be cautious about that. Yeah. I, I understand. And I, I'm going to Google that stat later. Um, Cause I, I found a different one earlier, but uh I, I think, you know, bringing up ex- California as an example, sort of to my point of view, and I could certainly be wrong, um, provides evidence that, you know, we need to have a federal minimum wage so that states aren't kind of competing with one another uh, for for labor. Um, granted, I'm sure, you know, their tax policy has more to do with a lot of uh, the companies and people for that matter, kind of fleeing the state over the last 20 years. Um, but I, I just don't necessarily uh, buy the argument that um, that that we're unprepared for this. Like I, I read something, uh, some stat in preparation for this, that my generation, you know, millennials are going to be the first that will make on average less than their parents' generation. And that's just because, you know, the average wages have not kept up with inflation uh, or productivity over the last 50 years. Um, and we're starting to see that. And uh, the majority of people are not able to even afford uh, or secure affordable housing in most states at a $15 minimum wage, let alone a $7.25. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious sort of what your thoughts are in terms of like, why why shouldn't we sort of apply some of the practices that a lot of other developed countries currently do, which is um, uh, adjust the minimum wage on sort of a yearly basis in order to keep up with inflation, is that something that you'd yeah. be more um, willing to? Well, consider? I'll, I'll answer. I'll answer that in a second. I'm actually fact checking myself in real time. I went back to bls.gov. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. The, the, the question of, of half of the people making minimum wage it's actually under the age of 25. Okay, so I, yeah, I, I yeah. would still I, I would still stand by my argument then that um, <laughs> that like when you're that young, you're 25 and under, you don't have a lot of job skills, and mm-hmm. so I, I would still make the same argument that. Um, it's not, it's not so bad for young people to, to be making low wages. Um, when you're above 25, you know, obviously you'd hope that people would be making more, but I'll, I'll go back to your question. So you asked about what other countries do to raise minimum wage. No, I mean, you know, I, I guess I'm going to take the free market approach and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a fun fact that you may or may not be aware of, mm. um, you know, Norway, which is routinely held up as this great democratic socialist country. Um, they don't have a minimum wage. There's, there's no law on the books that mandates what the minimum wage is. They just have, I mean, they have unions that negotiate certain contracts, um, but ultimately the government does not step in and set a floor. And so their, their model is actually closer to what I'm saying, which is that you need to let low-skilled people take low-pay jobs because it gets them in the workforce. And then if you want to supplement their income, you want to give them government health care, that's fine. That's a whole separate argument that we could have. I might not be in favor of all those programs, but it's a more, it's a much more efficient way 
of letting people work, letting people be productive. I mean, you talk about being productive. There's, there's nothing less productive than forcing a million people out of the workforce. That would be really, <laughs> really bad for productivity. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would embrace the Norway model that says you don't need to even have a minimum wage necessarily, or you sit, you can, you can keep it at a low number. And again, if, if people, if, if, if it's a teenager, you don't need to really worry about them. They're just making a little extra money. Um, if they're older and if they have children, for instance, then there's other government programs that can help them. So um, I guess this, this sort of the sort of one size fits all approach of saying, well, everyone should make $15 an hour. There's there's a huge downside to that that I don't think the Democratic Party has really reckoned with. Um, now, one thing I'll say about the Democratic Party is I think secretly <laughs> most of the Democrats in Congress know what I'm saying is true. And it's it's not going to be included in the final passage of um, the stimulus bill, or if they do, it'll be watered down. So it's like, maybe it's like a $10 an hour minimum wage or something. It'll be something that's much less of a, of a dislocation for those low-skilled workers that are, you know, already having trouble finding work. So, I mean, that, again, that's, that's my philosophy. Um, not sure if you ever heard that about Norway and you're welcome to go fact check me, but, um, you know, there, there, it's, it, it is a reality. It's, it's not a question of, should we help the poor? It's just a question of what is the best way to help the poor and, you know, low-skilled workers. Yeah. No, I mean, that's news to me, uh, certainly about Norway. I would be curious to see what kind of labor unions they have there. Um, because, I mean, here in the U.S., something like, what, like 8% now uh, of workers belong to unions that previously fought for increased wages. Um, I'm certainly curious to check out a little bit more about that, because this is certainly a debate that I'm not that familiar with, um, and I'm happy to learn more. Uh, but I, in sort of preparing for this conversation, uh, like an hour ago, I did pull up a study that I think a lot of this minimum wage argument was built on in the early nineties that compared, uh, fast food restaurants in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Um, in New Jersey, they, uh, implemented a minimum wage and a lot of people were expecting to see a job loss and, uh, higher unemployment, but the opposite was in fact true. Um, I can't necessarily speak to why that was the case, but, um, following that study, a lot of countries, um, started to take the minimum wage approach and mandate federally, like at the national level, uh, in order to just have some kind of wage floor. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess my biggest concern is more so that it is in the United States, a political decision and less of one, uh, informed by just numbers and facts. Um, and I believe that we could learn a lot by uh, countries like the United K Kingdom that have sort of an apolitical economic commission that reviews the minimum wage every year uh, and compares it to inflation. Um, and as a result, I think that they have seen their wages kind of keep up with uh, inflation and just overall productivity. Um, I don't know. I it's It's not something that I... I'm very hopeful uh, Biden will be able to pass through with the you know 1.9 economic stimulus package. However, I do believe that Bernie Sanders has made um, some comments uh, about his confidence, including it uh, through the or passing it through the reconciliation uh, process. Um, but you know, you brought up like not even having a minimum wage at all, 
And I, I guess Norway is one of those countries that doesn't, but I, I think like nine or the vast majority, maybe like 90% of countries actually do have some kind of minimum wage. Um, I guess I'm just curious, like what would you uh, imagine uh, uh, the effect to be if we were to just kind of completely eliminate the minimum wage? I mean, I'm not advocating we have to eliminate it. I mean, I would argue that the minimum wage is so low today it's almost like having no minimum wage at all, yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. so like $7 an hour. I mean, I don't know ex- all the ins and outs of like the cost of living in like the super low cost of living areas. Um, obviously it, it costs a lot less to live in a place like Alabama or Mississippi than it does to live in California or New York or, yeah. or somewhere else. So, you know, I mean, it, you know, it, it makes sense, I, I guess, for states to have their own minimum wage and some cities set their own minimum wages. And, you know, I might not always be in favor of that, but that that would make that makes more sense than having just inflating a federal minimum wage. And you know, just just to sort of harp on the point a little bit more, you can imagine a situation where, like, you have, you know, it 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 re, it, it ultimately leads to kind of a kind of price inflation. So not only are you going to put people out of work, but you're going to have sort of a, a price inflation that that hits people in, in all kinds of ways. So like. If you're in, again, let's take a low cost living area like Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. You may have daycare centers that cater to people between the ages of one to three, let's say, right? And they may have a certain number of low skilled workers there. Um, you know, you again, think of a low cost living area. They might be paying some of their employees only $10 an hour, $12 an hour, or those are the trainees that are going to eventually be making more than that. Um, but, you know, if, if you suddenly raise their wage to $15 an hour, suddenly there, you know, are moms that can't afford to pay for the daycare costs anymore because it's just, you know, costs keep going up and up and up. Even, you know, even you think about a better example might be like, you think about what it takes to um, get like an Uber food delivery or Grubhub or whatever the the newest like app is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so like if you order a nice meal, you order like a big, uh, you know, Chinese food order or whatever the, the order is. And maybe the order, maybe it's a group of people. So the order comes to like 50 bucks, right? And, you know, you might say, okay, well, that's reasonable, right? And that's under like today's, today's status quo. But you can imagine, you can easily imagine a future where suddenly it's like, well, the, the dishwashing guys that are making $10 an hour, now they're making 15. And the Uber guy that's making 12, now he's making 15 or 16. And, you know, you start to add up all those costs and suddenly the food prices are going up, the delivery prices are going up. And suddenly that, that food order that costs $50 now is costing you $60, $70 or more. And there is a point where people just say, I, I can't afford to, to buy things at all these higher wages. So mm-hmm. again, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm sort of harping on the same point I was a minute ago, but I do want people just to sort of think through these things. And you have, and it just, you have to ask the question of like, well, okay, now we've we've raised the price of, of everyone's labor or a good portion of the workforce. We've, we've raised the price of their labor. And it's like, well, what did we really achieve for that, right? I mean, again, like, are, are there better ways to fight poverty and still let some of the teenagers and some of the low-skilled workers have that low-skilled job, but you sort of make it up to them yeah. uh, in other ways? So yeah. perhaps I'm just repeating myself, but... but no, if, no, I mean, <laughs> that helps. Yeah. I, I guess I just... Um, not to harp my same point. I, I just don't believe that in today's society, anyone who's working 
a full-time job should be living, you know, a thousand dollars above the poverty line. Um, I don't know. And maybe this is radical, but I, I would be more in favor perhaps of some kind of law that applies to companies of certain established um, or wealth uh, that ties the top like CEO pay to the, to the minimum wage uh, or the lowest uh, earning employee, just that there is some mechanism in place that further increases wages at the bottom uh, when the company as a whole is doing really well. But yeah, I mean, I, I hear that. But, you know, even even if you really want to dissect the question of like people living like at the poverty level, which is uh, I don't know if you if you recall offhand, is it like around 18,000 or 20,000? No, it's uh, it's 13. It was just uh, under 13. And so someone currently working the um, or earning seven twenty five an hour, 40 days a week or 40 hours a week would earn somewhere around like 14,000 or 15,000 yeah. a year. And I mean, you know, I, I get that that's not a lot to live on, but I'd also point out that, you know, I guess it depends on what, what the vision is you have in your head of, of who this person is. Right. So if, if you're thinking of a 25 year old person making $14,000 a year, you might say, gee, that seems really low. But, you know, again, I, I think it depends on, on the situation. If it's a mom with one or two kids, You'd say, yeah, obviously they can't live off of that. And you'd say, gee, I hope they're getting some government assistance. And, and they probably already are. I guess if it's a single guy with no kids and he's making $14,000 a year, um, you know, I mean, this is why people have roommates, right? I mean, <laughs> might not be, might not be a great lifestyle, but you know, maybe, you, maybe you got to ride the subway for a while. Maybe you don't own a car. Maybe you, you have two or three or four roommates, right? I mean, I, I went through college and I had, we had four guys living in a two bedroom apartment um, and, you know, it wasn't glamorous. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't spending a lot of money on anything besides books and uh, tuition. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I mean, maybe I was basically at the poverty line, but you know, you just don't even care because you're young and you don't, you don't have a lot of other um, expenses to cover. And so again, you know, I, I, I take your point that we don't want a society where people are struggling to get by, but I think, I think what gets lost in that conversation is that, uh, especially the individuals with parents, you know, they're already getting uh, a lot of money in uh, other assistance, um, whether it's food stamps or or, or other programs. Um, you know, they're they're getting they're getting by, and I'm not saying that we should just say, oh, everyone's fine. I, I get that there are people who fall through the cracks, but. Um, I think there are ways to target that. And even, you know, to, to sort of stick on that example, if, if the poverty level is 14,000, um, or even if you do the math, I, I'm, I'm trying to do the math right here. If, if someone's making $8 an hour, yeah, that, that comes out to about 14,000, uh, the rough math. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you have two people, if, let's say you have two people that are married and they're both making roughly the minimum wage, that means they're making a combined $30,000. Um, again, it's difficult to raise kids off of that, but you know, again, it depends on where you live, depends on your circumstances. And, you know, I, I think that we have to understand that again, a lot of these people are, are teenagers to start off with under the age of 25, under 25. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I just don't know that we have to completely change the minimum wage system and usher in a new age of robots doing <laughs> human jobs. I mean, I think that stuff is, well, is coming, but I think this is going to make it worse. Yeah. So I, that's another point. Like I, I actually don't know. I sort of feel, I, I definitely understand the argument 
uh, in terms of increasing the minimum wage, accelerating the automation of low-skilled jobs. But uh, that almost brings up an entirely another point of something that I know Andrew Yang uh, campaigned pretty heavily on in um, 2020, which is just universal basic income as a way to supplement uh, the growth of automation and the loss of jobs that sort of comes with it. Is that something that you think could uh, have a foreseeable I don't, um, or be a foreseeable solution? I don't think that that's a good idea. Um, and for people who, who like this kind of debate, um, there's another debate series. I think it's put on sort of indirectly by PBS um, or not P- by NPR. It's called Intelligence Squared U.S. Debates. If you, if you Google Intelligence Squared and you Google the universal basic income, they had a pretty robust debate on that. Um, and when the audience voted, they voted basically against the universal basic income, basically because in the end, it's a really expensive program. And again, most people kind of came down the side of saying, you're better off just targeting the aid to people who need it. And that that's usually a better, a better use of resources. I think um, it's funny, you know, we, we've kind of gotten detached from like, what deficit spending really means. Um, Like we have, we have these massive deficits every year and and both parties are are sort of guilty of it. But, you know, I think at some point there's going to be a reckoning on that and (laughs) it's not going to be pretty. I think the other reason people should be skeptical of the universal basic income is that we're certainly not at that stage yet. I mean, as you were, as you correctly point out before the pandemic, we had unemployment that was down to like three or 4%. So it's not like we were in an age of massive unemployment and technological displacement. I mean, that could still happen uh, to a portion of the of the public, but I, I don't think we're there yet. I think that ultimately, um, low skilled people will be able to find work, um, and um, you know, I, I think we're just not there yet. Well, I guess before we wrap this up, um, I do want to add one more stat that I. I found earlier when doing a little research and that just being that, you know, a majority of Americans, like 65%, according to a recent poll, do support increasing the minimum wage. Now that doesn't necessarily mean jump starting or jumping straight to $15 an hour. Um, but then 40 or 54% of small business owners. So a slight major, uh, majority oppose increasing the minimum wage in large part because they believe that they'll have to lay off employees. So I, I think that this is a debate that obviously is ongoing and has been um, growing in popularity, like I mentioned at the top, because of the economic stimulus package that's been uh, introduced by Joe Biden. But but yeah, I don't know. Do you have any sort of like final thoughts? Yeah. You know, here's, here's one more sort of metaphor to consider. It's, it's a metaphor, but I think it's also um, pretty appropriate. You know, when when we talk about like global warming, for instance, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have these sort of computer models that project what the world's going to look like in 50 years or 100 years. And, um, and of course, you know, the Democrats, for the most part, sort of take this on faith that like, okay, well, this, this is absolutely what's going to happen. And so let's just go with that theory for a minute. But the, 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 the things that people tend to worry about is like, what happens if the sea levels rise over 100 years? What happens if temperatures increase over 100 years? And you know, sometimes they have, like, they don't always win those arguments because people just can't wrap their brain around what's going to happen 10 years from now or 50 years or 100 years from now. It's, it's hard to comprehend that because, you know, we, if we increase our, if we, if we increase global carbon uh, output 
in for a few more years, it's not going to change the world right now, but it might change it down the road. And so I think that when people think about the minimum wage, when they think about increased taxes and increased regulations, they should maybe think of it in that same context that like if you're in New Jersey or California, you can maybe get away with increasing the minimum wage for a few years. But if you keep increasing it and keep increasing it and you do it in Alabama, Mississippi and, and everywhere else in the world, that eventually you're going to start to see that displacement. So it's like the, it's like the sea level slowly rising, right? It's going to be the unemployment ranks continuing to increase slowly and slowly as people get priced out of uh, the workforce. So I just thought I would put that out there because I think it, it might be a useful way for people to think about this, that like you can do something bad <laughs> and you don't always see the effect right away. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a few years, even a few decades for this to really sort of come to fruition. And, you know, you, you look at places like Europe, you know, put Norway aside for a minute, but places like France and Spain, they, th these countries routinely have chronically high unemployment of 10%, 15%, numbers that would be totally unlivable in the United States or un unacceptable in the United States. Um, but they got that way because they slowly kept increasing the taxes and the regulations and all that stuff. So I just, I just, just one more thing for people to think about in terms of, you know, how do you judge these things? It's, it's tough to judge it based on one or two years of performance. You, you may have to think of it in terms of 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, and what that really means. So I know I've probably talked a little bit too much. So I, I apologize uh -huh. in, in advance for that. But um, hopefully, you know, my goal in, in having these conversations is for people to at least sort of think about these things that, you know, they may not agree with me, but they might say, oh, well, you know, that was an interesting way to think about it. And, you know, maybe there is some 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 caution we should have about you know changing these laws so no, it, no it's it's interesting um because i again similar to like at the top i agree with you i i think uh, but in a, in a complete like reversed way i think yeah it, a lot of the impacts and sort of externalities of in potentially increasing the minimum wage in the same way that you know cutting back our carbon emissions uh for climate change uh would be felt not immediately but down the road and Again, I would just sort of, in my point, sort of point back to the raising the 900,000 people out of poverty. Yeah, I mean, immediately we'll feel some job loss, but in the long term, it hopefully would uh, result in um, decrease income inequality and just uh, general, uh, a stronger, lower uh, class, I guess, in the United States. Um, right. right. So, but yeah, I, I appreciate you having this discussion with me. It's definitely one, like I said, I'm not that familiar with, I have certainly worked my fair share of uh, low paying jobs in the past, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate any opportunity to have a conversation uh, with, with you and anyone who is out there listening and wants to uh, disagree with me over issues like this. All right. Well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, TR. All right. Well, thanks for listening to my conversation with TR about uh, raising the minimum wage. If you enjoyed our chat and want to reach out or you absolutely hated it and want to send me some hate mail, feel free. My email is pmwp.pod at gmail.com. Uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Prove, please, because I do regularly post contentious topics, uh, just get kind of feelers and other people's points of view, um, as well as uh, a Google voice number that's on my profile that I encourage folks to call if they want to talk to me directly or just leave a voicemail that I can include in a future episode of this podcast. Uh, next week, I will be talking with an old friend I actually met abroad about climate change and um, in part 
we'll discuss the power grid failure that we've seen occurring in Texas um, following nationwide snowstorms. Uh, unlike today's conversation about minimum wage, I actually somewhat know what I'm talking about when it comes to climate change. I mean, I study environmental science. It's been a topic of, of great interest to me, so I'm definitely looking forward to that conversation and uh, hope you are too. But anyways, thanks for listening. Stay warm out there and have a good one.